Hello and welcome to Who Wrote This, where the telephone game meets plot summaries. I'm John Sansoni, and joining me as always is Jackson McKee. Hello there. For those of you who are joining us for the first time, let me explain how this works. Each week, one of us will watch a movie, while the other only reads online summaries, from Wikipedia or otherwise. Afterwards, the one who only read about the movie has to describe to the other what exactly happened, and panic is sure to ensue. Due to the nature of this podcast, spoilers are bound to happen, so a spoiler warning is in effect. You have been warned. This week, I watched, and Jackson read, Percy Jackson and the Olympians, The Lightning Thief. Starring Logan Learman as Percy Jackson, Brandon T. Jackson as Rover Underwood, Alexandra Dadiaro as Annabeth Chase, Jake Abel as Luke Castillon, Sean Bean as Zeus, Kevin McKidd as Poseidon, Steve Coogan as Hades, Catherine Keener as Sally Jackson, Uma Thurman as Medusa, and Pierce Brosnan as Chiron. The film follows 16-year-old Percy Jackson, who discovers he is a demigod. While making his way to Cabin Pathblod with his guardian-slash-friend Grover, Percy's mother is taken by Hades, who tasks Percy with finding the lightning bolt of Zeus. With help from Grover and a fellow camper named Annabeth Chase, Percy journeys across the country with hopes of reuniting with his mother. The film made $226.4 million against a $95 million budget and received a 49% approval rating on Rotten Tomatoes, a 47 out of 100 on Metacritic, and a B-plus on CinemaScore. This movie, man. Let me tell you, for the first movie I have to watch for this show, this certainly was one, was one to start with. I mean, I, re- I read all of these books as a kid. I The Percy Jackson, the Olympian series... Just the franchise as a whole. I mean, Rick Riordan, like, had a probably there were a ton of kids who like during the Greek unit of history they'd start freaking out because they recognize some of these characters from this book series. Yeah, and also just a disclaimer: if we mispronounce some Greek name, that's not us being ignorant. It's just we don't know how to say yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, we are we are some we are not the best at Greek names. But with that, I mean, let's let's go ahead and get started. Yeah. Okay, so my plot summary from Wikipedia starts with, At the top of the Empire State Building, Zeus meets Poseidon, accusing Poseidon's demigod son, Percy Jackson, of stealing Zeus's master lightning bolt. Poseidon reminds his brother that Percy is unaware of his true identity, but Zeus declares that unless the bolt is returned to Mount Olympus before midnight of the summer solstice in two weeks, war will be waged all, between all the gods. Yeah, and this is this is where we see the first divergence from the book, and... If you're listening at home, why don't you just get get a little counter up or get a little sheet of paper and mark down every time I say in the book or if I mentioned how much this is different from the book because that is the one thing I think I've taken away from this entire this entire movie is that this is nothing like the book. So first and foremost, they're at the top of the Empire State Building. It's very dimly lit. There's a bunch of clouds covering. It's, it's supposed to be a very ominous scene, and it's Zeus and Poseidon, which – First of all, so it's just it's so interesting seeing Sean Bean and Kevin McKidd just standing on top of the Empire State Building, dressed and like just like they shopped at Men's Warehouse. Like they're not even dressed like they're supposed to be Greek gods yet. That doesn't happen for a bit. But it's Zeus and Poseidon talking in this like in this very ominous way, and all of a sudden like they're start they're talking about oh we can't you know like Sean Bean is talking. He's like you know you can't you can't you know talk to your son which at this point percy has not been claimed like he's not officially acknowledged as a son of poseidon in the book so it's like all we're already flying in the face of it first and foremost because poseidon's already very readily aware that percy exists and not only that but they're talking and zeus is zeus doesn't have his lightning bolt at this point zeus the lightning bolt is is gone yeah, but I mean the whole the whole premise is that you know Zeus the, the it's the lightning thief. Someone stole Zeus's master lightning bolt, and that's like his thing, and so he's gonna wage war to get it back. Why does he just assume that a demigod took it? Like there are so many people who I could see wanting Zeus to just like get screwed over. Really, it and really it is it it ends up not being you know just a demigod but on that oh we'll we'll get into that later um but it's very cloudy it's kind of stormy and Poseidon remarks thunderclouds and Zeus goes but with no lightning 
but two minutes before in the opening in the opening pan as you're like coming through the clouds to empire state building there is so much lightning <laughs> there's literally so much lightning and not and he's like oh but there's no lightning there is there all of this sizzle shot coming into it is lightning so i don't know what they're talking about but yeah so zeus zeus is like threatening this like great celestial war and poseidon's just kind of just this mopey standoffish guy like he's like he's just kind of like oh you can't do that like it's just like what like in the in the entire thing it's very strange all right that sounds that sounds like a great opening yeah sick the next paragraph. 16-year-old Percy struggles with dyslexia and ADHD, but has a unique ability to stay underwater for long periods of time. Okay, that pisses me off. I'm sorry to interrupt you. That pisses me off. 16-year-old. For context, the books are framed where Percy starts his adventure in the book The Lightning Thief as a 12-year-old because there's a driving prophecy that when he turns 16... There's going to be this great decision he has to make that will either save the world or throw it into chaos. It's like the great prophecy. I'm pretty sure they even call it the great prophecy. Wow. But the studio ages them up to 16. So they don't even mention this prophecy, this like driving force of the entire books. Instead, it's just, oh, he's 16 now. For what? For it to be relatable? I guess. And like – he he struggles with dyslexia and ADHD. Yeah. So the the whole idea is that the Greek the the demigods kids, their brains are hardwired for ancient Greek. They're not really supposed to be able to understand languages besides ancient Greek. So so learning other languages takes a really long amount of time for him. But you see in the movie anytime anytime Percy looks at like Greek script, it does this like magical shifting thing. It becomes. Like it becomes Latin script, so like he can, we we the audience can read it in English, but he like instantly knows what it is. That's never that's like that's accurate. He knows he can translate Greek really well. He should not have his powers at this point. He should have no idea, like at all. Well, he shouldn't be. He wouldn't be cognizant of it. Instead, we this like the first shot as the as the credits are rolling is he's just like sitting at the bottom of a pool. Just nothing else happening. He's just I mean, sitting he's just there. I mean, he's kind of like just like looking around. It's like, dude, why? So, yeah, it's it's not the best. Okay. Wow. On a school trip, Percy is attacked by Electo, a theory masquerading as his substitute English teacher who demands the lightning bolt. Percy's best fr- best friend Grover Underwood and his Latin teacher Mr. Bruner help scare off Electo. Mr. Bruner gives Percy a pen, which he claims is a powerful cosmic weapon. Oh, yeah. So the pen. Um, so Electo is is masquerading as Miss Dodd, a substituted English teacher. And she takes Percy into this other room. And Percy's already being portrayed much differently. He's portrayed as this kind of – like in every teen movie, there's a cliche of the, the loner standoffish guy walking with his jovial friend through the hallway – where it's every scene. He, they're oh, walking yeah. through the hall with all the lockers, and, like, one of them's really downtrodden. The other's like, come on, dude. It's going to be fine. That's basically Percy and Grover. And that's nothing like how they're characterized because Percy's this kind of really caring, you know, stand-up guy who wants to help people, but he's really nervous and scared. And Grover's also portrayed as this kind of, like, guy who's really down on his luck, and he's down to earth, but he's trying his best. And instead, Grover is this, like, ladies' man, like, like, the the silly friend in every in every teen movie and Percy's literally has his earbuds in the entire time uh Mr. Bruner is talking and like he's supposed to be interested in Greek but he's literally just standing there and he's like looking around rolling his eyes but Percy is taken to the other room by Miss Dodd and she like and he's and she's like he's like what did I do something this time and then you you pan and she's on top of some scaffolding like they're in this giant room. She's, just She's there. in front of him, and then you you turn like he you you just go to a tight shot of Percy, and he turns for a second, and she's on top of scaffolding. He's like she's like where is it? And she starts like hissing at this point, and so she starts she turns into a, a fury and starts attacking him. He, Percy's freaked out, 
and Grover and uh Miss and Mr. Bruner come in and start like chasing her away. But in the book, Percy is supposed to have is supposed to scare Miss Dodd off on his own. Or rather, how, like, how he, does he do that? <laughs> he does it with the pen. He, so he has the pen at this well, late, before no, that. Actually, no, he's not supposed to be given the pen after the fight. He's supposed to be given the pen like during the fight. Hmm. But instead, Percy is just like is like, "What was that? What was that?" And Mister Bruner like hands him the pen. He's like, "This will this will protect you." And it's like. Dude, you should have given it to him while he was being attacked by the Fury. It's like, man. So it is a very powerful cosmic weapon. It's called it's called something in ancient Greek, but it, in English, it's always translated as Riptide. So Riptide is like a pen, and when he clicks it, it turns into this like bronze sword, oh, which is awesome. objectively really cool. That that would be awesome. Like just walking around school, just whip out your pen, just. I will yeah. murder you. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what kind of uses this this 16-year-old kid. I mean, it makes sense for him when he was aged up to not really, like, have a use for a pen sword. But, like, come on. Come on. That's, like, let him prove himself at least. Yeah. Okay. Uh, very powerful cosmic weapon, and instructs Grover to take Percy and his mother Sally to Camp Half-Blood, a hidden summer camp for demigod children on Long Island. Leaving behind Sally's abusive husband, Gabe Ugliano. Okay, so Gabe. Let's talk about Gabe. Smelly Gabe. Um <laughs> They call him Smelly Gabe. I think I call him Smelly Gabe in the books. Um the reason the reason that she marries Gabe is she hates Gabe. And Gabe is portrayed very well as this like kind of really big jerk. Joe Joe Pantoliano plays this one dimensional character very well. Because he plays it one-dimensionally. He plays it like the stereotypical uh, NYC a-hole, you know? So, uh, but the reason she marries him is that uh, demigods give off a very distinct scent to monsters. So at the age of 12, you start becoming very noticeable. And it's not revealed till later, but Percy as a son of Poseidon, as one of the big three, quote-unquote, with Zeus and Hades, he is, like... It, he's like a red flag in a sea of red flags. He's like the target. But Gabe is literally so repugnant that that it conceals his scent to monsters. So I'm I'm taking it that Gabe just is like drinking heavily and like he's, just he's smoking in a, he's, everything he can. No, I mean he's not he's not like drink. I, he's not. I don't think he's smoking. But like he's he's like this dumpy guy in a in a white in like a white tank top it's like he later later on he gets his he gets his due his due retribution but you know he it's it's all very strange but yeah so grover grover takes percy and his his mom to camp half-blood and that's um i think it's disguised as like i think strawberry fields i i vaguely remember I, something from I, the movie like I watched this a long time ago. Yeah, I vaguely remember. Did Grover beat him? Grover does. Yeah, I don't. Uh, yeah, Grover like beats the crap out of uh out of Gabe. He he because Grover's on crutches to uh Grover's on crutches while he's in the mortal world, or at least it, it helps with his like disguise. Uh, which we'll get into later, but he beats him he like stomps him and like gut checks him <laughs> it's awesome and like but grover is again in in strange characterization he's not normally he shouldn't be this kind of like you know yeah did you see that dude like but but he literally is like gloating to percy he's like yeah i beat the crap out of gabe dude with my crutches and it's like you you what what yeah but Hidden summer camp. It's just like the only place on like that anyone knows of yet in the series that is safe for demigods because they have the means to protect them from monsters that are literally just smelling droves of them. There at 
they are at Camp Half-Blood, they are attacked by the Minotaur, who seemingly kills Percy's mother. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, she's whole... So, the Minotaur comes in, and at, during the during this fight scene, the Minotaur's holding, like, Percy's mom in his, like, le- I guess, left hand. And then she just kind of dissolves into gold powder. Like, by the neck or just, like, I think this by is the like kind torso. of by the torso. I think by the torso. Because at this point, Hades is, like, control – is, like it, – it, later on, it's revealed that Hades is, like, in charge of sending the Minotaur, which is really not supposed to happen because the Minotaur is really – the Minotaur could have found him on its own. The Minotaur could have totally just smelled Percy at this point. But instead, the Minotaur is used as this kind of device where, oh, Percy finally uses the sword. Because at this point, this is where he discovers that the pen is the sword. That yeah. the, how he can use the sword. Yeah, Percy um, discovers that Mr. Bruner's pen is a magical sword and uses and uses it to fight off the Minotaur, killing it with its own horn. Yeah, so that should have already happened with Miss Dodd. That should have already happened with the Fury. There was no reason that we had to push it back. Instead, we we draw out this, like, heroic revival, and it's, like, it's just not necessary. But, in, but you know, per- Percy is just—all the characters are just so bad. Nice. The performances are good, though. I mean, uh— yeah, Brandon T. Jackson as Gro- Brandon T. Jackson plays his heart out as Grover. He is, he is like making he's like doing so much with so little. Good for him. And like Logan Lerman as Percy is doing, he's he's doing okay. He's doing okay. Waking up three days later, Percy learns that he is the son of Poseidon. Grover is a satyr and Percy's protector, and Mister Bruner is Chiron, a centaur. Okay, so. Here we go. Percy learns he's the son of Poseidon. Normally what happens is you get claimed. So you, like, there's this whole ceremony and, like, their symbol appears above him. In the books, like, a glowing trident appears above his head and everyone is, like, literally bowing down because he's he's the only son of Poseidon that they know about, like, at this point. Because the big three, like we mentioned earlier – the big three aren't supposed to have kids, or at least they made a deal that they weren't going to have any more kids. And so, why did they do that? Just because? Just because? Well, demigods like caused the, like the Jonas Brothers, just like chastity. They just caught they demigods just cause so many problems, uh, especially for the gods who really are kind of ambivalent to them. They really don't care that much. Like they're there, they'll claim them, but like some kids go unclaimed. Like some oh. kids literally will go unclaimed for years. Um, so. Percy is is actually uh, breaking the rule here because Poseidon was not supposed to have him. Um, but, you know, he did. And so, in, but instead, in the movie, he just kind of grabs a trident and, like, literally, it's like a one-off scene. He turns to the camera and he goes, I'm a son of Poseidon? Or, like, my dad's Poseidon or something? It's like, dude, no! You, you're losing all the drama of the reveal. <laughs> And, you know, Grover, Grover's a satyr. That's why he has to walk with crutches because he got goat hooves. And uh, Mr. Bruner is Chiron, a centaur, who is also implied in the books to be the only centaur who, like, cares about learning. The rest of them are kind of like these, like, wild animal people who just do sports. <laughs> um, but he's, like, the only one who knows, learns. But even then, like, he's portrayed in the movie as just a centaur, but slightly smarter and slightly more of a leader. And... Like, Grover is still a ladies' man, but also doesn't have horns at this point because he has to earn his horns. So he's just a guy with goat legs at this point. At this point, he's a guy with goat legs who also, like, eats tin cans. Oh. Like, yeah, yeah, there's – like, he eats tin cans, uh, which really shouldn't be a one-off, but, you know. Yeah, there's something There's something later um, that, uh, that, I'll, that I'll try to mention. Um, but – yeah, Gro- Grover doesn't have his horns yet because he's supposed to earn them. But in the books, he's supposed to earn his Seeker's badge so he can go and look for Pan, the satyr, the satyr god, the god of the wild, who's supposedly dead, but he doesn't believe that. Uh. 
um, or loss at least. And in this, he's just you know he has to earn his keep as a protector by earning his horns. It's okay. it's so it's not even remotely close. Percy starts coming into his latent demigod powers, which include hydrokinesis and healing, and meets other demigods, including Annabeth Chase, daughter of Athena, and the camp's leader, Luke Castellan, son of Hermes. Okay, let's talk about these two characters. So, in the creation of this movie, they axed a few characters. So they axed, uh, oh, her name, her name's passing from my mind, but, but there's a daughter of Ares, who's supposed to be this kind of, like, very aggressive, I mean, you know, it's a daughter of Ares, so she's, she's, like, really... Clarice. Clarice is her name. She's like really, she's really like aggressive and angry. While Annabeth is, first of all, blonde with gray eyes, which blonde is important to her character because she needs to, like, she thinks she needs to prove herself as someone who's smart and fly against the dumb blonde stereotype. But also, all of Athena's kids are supposed to have gray eyes. That's like supposed to be the thing, is they all have gray eyes. Why? why? I have no idea. Uh, In this, uh, you know, Alexander Dario, they didn't even change anything about her, so she's got brown hair and like, you know, hazelish eyes. Like it doesn't it doesn't look remotely like she's she like her book counterpart. And and she's taking up a lot of those character traits that Clarice would have had. So she's the first thing you first time you see her, she's in this like sword fight with like three oh, other people. Dang. And like and it's the classic femme fatale like, like she just beats you know, all hair, of them. hair flip slow mo intro, and Grover and Grover's like, dude, and Grover's like dissing on him on Percy because she's like, yeah, she'll never talk to you, dude. Which, come on, what? Annabeth is supposed, supposed to be the daughter of Athena, the god of strategy, and instead she's first being portrayed as this kind of like, you know, warmonger, and she's not. And then, and then you know we see Luke Castellan who is supposed to be this really nice guy and he he's he's nice ish to Percy but in the but in the movie he's this kind of like this kind of flippant kid who's you know he's got this all whole this room just decked out with like technology and stuff because he's the son of Hermes so he, he like he, he steals things he brings things to the, to the camp that he's not supposed to have um and so normally he's he's not even supposed to like have met his dad before but then he goes oh I snuck into my dad's house and stole these, and he holds up these pairs like of like Converse, but they have wings on the back. Oh, that's awesome! Like the the, the wing, wing shoe the is wing cool. Shoes. Um, why would Hermes have a house? And moreover, Luke has not met Hermes. Why would he know where the house is? Magic. He just is it's, like, hey yo. Or he texts his mom, like, "Hey, mom, do you know where where my yeah, dad lives?" Yeah, really. It's in like Luke, and like Luke is is an important character later on later on in the movie, but he's he's already not the kind of very nice guy with very very nice, and it's supposed to be a very big plot twist when something happens to him, and it's like you can kind of see it coming oh, in this one. Man. Percy is visited by an apparition of Hades, who reveals that the Minotaur abducted Sally to the underworld to trade for the lightning bolt. Yep. So Hades does not appear like all the other gods appear in the mortal world. All the other gods just appear as very big people, like built big as like buildings. They're very very tall, okay. and then like and you see them later. They're in this like they're they're in traditional Greek like armor and clothing. Um, Hades looks like Hellboy. He look he's he's just like giant flaming thing with giant flaming wings and horns and like I would have totally loved to just see Steve Coogan in this scene instead of just CGI'd Hades. I think I just really wanted to show some like really cool effect because he's like he's like this giant thing. He's and he's like sweeping out. He's like oh your mother uh, I took her to the underworld and it's like it's Steve Coogan talking but like it's not Steve Coogan. That would have been funny though. Steve Coogan just showed up. Really? Because it, it's he's so he's he's legitimately doing a pretty he's doing a pretty good performance later when you actually see Hades, and I would have I, it's really a missed opportunity there, but yeah, the Minotaur takes Sally to the underworld. The Minotaur should not be under Hades' command in this case. He should have already been like, what? Well, first of all, why is he still alive? Like, and the, but then you know it's. Oh well, yeah, they regenerate. They regenerate, but it's just not 
not at all what the Minotaur should be. Why does everybody want this lightning bolt so badly? I mean, we've had two, three people come and try and kill this kid for it. Yeah, it's like, it's this kind of like, it's the MacGuffin of this movie. Everyone wants it because it's, it, it's powerful. It's, this, it's, the, it's the symbol of the king of the gods. And it shoots lightning. Oh, like, dang. It's, it is, well, yeah, I mean, a lightning bolt shoots lightning. I don't know what you expect. Well, yeah, but, like, like, the last time I saw a Zeus with a lightning bolt was in the most recent Thor movie. Yeah, that's. With Russell Crowe, who's yeah. just got, like, this, like, a metal lightning bolt that he's just throwing around. No, this is literally a, like, a rod that is just electricity. Oh, dang, that's cool. It's, like, it's, like, a good, like, size of, like, this table we're at. So it's, like, it's probably good, like. Oh, Wow five six a... feet long um and it grows when it's it, it grows when it's in the hand of a god but like it'll like grow and shrink to for the user so it's like it's pretty big when a when a person holds it but it's like god size for when a god has it you know um but yeah like that because no one no one wants like most rational gods would not want a war with the gods um then there's hades well, we'll talk about Hades. In a Defying Chiron's orders, Percy sets out for the underworld with Grover and Annabeth. Mm. Luke gives Percy a map with the location of three green pearls belonging to Hades' wife, Persephone, which will allow them to escape the underworld. Percy is also given a pair of flying-winged shoes, stolen from Hermes, and Luke's favorite shield. Meanwhile, Percy is declared a missing person. All right. <laughs> in the If they had this prophecy... Wait, that I, I, I just have a... Who declares him a missing person? Gabe? Like, Gabe calls the police and is like, um, hey. Probably the fact that he, I think it's the fact that he left from Camp Hathor. I think. Oh. I don't know. This is the one part of the movie that I, I can't, like, I don't remember him, like, leaving that much. What I do know is that if they had the subplot of the prophecy, they would have, they wouldn't be missing. Because he's supposed to have been given all these, like, gifts. He's supposed to have been sent on a mission to go to the underworld and Chiron would give him the ble his blessing and he would get all these things and like gifts and tools for the journey from the camp and then he'd go with permission with Grover and Annabeth instead he's seen as like sneaking out which is just not necessary at all did, did Chiron justify why he didn't want him to or was he just like it's not it was, a good it idea the, it's not it's not safe you can't go kind of thing it's 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 every single time someone snuck out under the nose of an authority figure oh okay that fun cliche. Yeah. At a garden center in New Jersey, with help from Grover and Annabeth, Percy manages to decapitate Medusa and takes the first pearl from her corpse. Uma Thurman is Medusa in this. I'm just that... imagining this, like, Percy just, like, stabbing her and then just, like, I need that. Yeah, it's, um, so... <laughs> so Uma Thurman is Medusa, and in the books, she's wrapped, like, head to toe. She's, like, covered head to toe. Like a mummy? Uh, well, she's just covered. She's covered. Um, in the in the in the movie, she just has like sunglasses on and like a big like dark outfit. So like you still know it's Medusa. Like it's very obvious the woman with snake hair is Medusa. Um, but instead of using the reflection off a glass ball like he does in the books, he uses his phone. That's funny. Percy uses his phone. Demigods should not have phones. So, like, this is, like, the thing. It's, like, Percy Percy can't, like, contact like he his mom. He just whips out his phone at, and at, just... He's looking at, like, the front side of it while it's reflecting. And so here the problem is demigods can't have phones in the book because it's, like, basically... I think Chiron likens it to, like, sending up a flare. Because it's just... It's so easy for you to be detected when you... As a demigod, when you have a phone with you. Um, so Percy has, like, no way to contact his family in the books besides, like, you know, seeing them or writing, I suppose. Um, but he just has a phone. And he – and, like, I get they try to make it more relatable, uh, Chris Columbus, the director. Um, but, like, Craig Titley wrote the screenplay. Craig, if you're listening, please read the books. Please. Just read the books. Um, but, yeah, Medusa, Medusa gets decapitated. And uh, it's really a shame because because uh, in the books they uh, they turn Gabe to stone. Oh, that's funny. They turn Gabe into stone because S Sally like uses the head on him, but they don't do that. 
At the Parthenon in Nashville, Percy uses the shoes to retrieve the second pearl from the crown of the statue of Athena there. And Grover kills a Hydra with Medusa's head. So, yeah, yeah. He what? <laughs> actually, correction. I forgot about it. They actually do turn him to stone, but it's in a mid-credits scene. Oh. Yeah, so it's not even in the movie. It's, like, barely in the movie. I completely forgot about it. it you should That should tell you just how fried I was by the end of this movie. So, so wait, they just, like, have been carrying around this head? Yeah. In, like, a backpack or something? Um, or, like, a duffel bag? I think it's in a bag. I think it's in a bag. But, yeah, so the Parthenon. They're not supposed to have gone to the Parthenon. Like, at all? They're supposed to be in St. Louis at this point in the books. Oh, damn. They're supposed to be in St. Louis. Percy's supposed to have this big fight in the arch. And then he's supposed to, like, fall off the arch. And, like, it's this whole thing. But instead, they're just in the Parthenon. Because when he's in St. Louis, Percy gets a chance to use his powers. And the Parthenon, he doesn't even, like, that. that's not even a thing. They're just, like, dodging and weaving. And Percy, you know, they do the, it's right behind me, isn't it, thing. When, you know, Percy cuts off the head of the Hydra, he's like, oh, yeah, we nice, I killed the Hydra. We win. And then you see it coming up from behind him and... and Annabeth is like, you know, when you cut off a Hydra's head, two more grow in his place, and then they turn, and the Hydra's back. It's, dang, it's, it's so cliche. Cause I know for a fact they just brought him to the Parthenon because they wanted to for it to look Greek, and it's yeah. in Nashville. Like, come on, it's not even. And like, it wouldn't make sense for them to for, for to have gone from New Jersey to Nashville. That would have taken a while. Exactly, cause. Because then they go from New Jersey – because then in the books they go from New Jersey to St. Louis, then to Vegas, their third destination. Instead, they have to make a detour to Nashville, and it makes it just such an – That would that would be up in New Jersey. You'd be going south You'd just to go south. northwest. Right. Ish. You'd probably be going up 95 or 85 or something. And then you'd have to go all the way west instead of just going across the country in like a diagonal line. Which makes so much more sense. Speaking of Vegas, the trio arrives at the Lotus Hotel and Casino in Las Vegas to obtain the third pearl. However, they forget their mission after eating lotus flowers, the effects from which cause them to lose sense of time. Just read the, ne read the next sentence, because that ties into my point. Percy snaps out of the spell after hearing the voice of his father, Poseidon, through telepathy, telling him not to eat any more flowers. So, oh boy. This is supposed to be Percy's, like, one of Percy's tests as a hero to test his mental resolve. Because in the books, Percy figures out that, th that he shouldn't eat this flower. And he, like, does it through cunning, and he figures it out on his own. Instead, it's just the disembodied voice of Kevin McKay going, Don't eat the flower, Percy. L pay attention. Focus. Look at, what you're, look at what's around you. It's like, and it's like, no! Let, like, he's nothing. They're not letting Percy prove himself as a hero. He's getting bailed out. He's getting bailed out. Exactly. And so the Lotus Hotel is like this like limbo, essentially, because every, you just kind of drift off and you don't notice time. Um, yeah, it's and it like it's really not that important to the story at this point, but it's important in later books. But I'm, it's really a shame that this series was so bad they couldn't get to that. But honestly, the series was so bad it did not deserve to be continued past two. Oh, well. But yeah, the Lotus Hotel. It's a cool setting, but like Grover has like this entourage of like eight women. And he's like, he plans to marry all of them. Literally, at, at one point, Brandon T. Jackson is like looking around. And he's like, and he's like, oh, we're going to Chapel. We're going to get married. Which one of you did I propose? Which one of you did I propose to again? And they all raise their hand. And it's like, dude, he's supposed to be this like shy kid who like who's like a who's like a green thumb, down to earth kind of guy, and instead he's just in Vegas with eight girls, and he's like, which one of you wants to marry me? And he and all of them raise their hand. I mean, that was that was acceptable to the Greek culture, but still, yeah, still, like, come on, he's a satyr, and like, also, side note, satyrs age at half the speed of humans, so. Technically, he's 28 years old, but for Seder purposes, he's a teenager, and that's why he's at Camp Half-Blood as Percy's protector. Because he's like, well, I suppose he's 32 in this adaptation because he has to be 16. It, I don't know. He's supposed to be about in his mid-20s. Um, but yeah, 
so they lose completely the sense of time. But instead, it's just like a giant. Think like a big Dave and Buster's. Oh dang! And so like like there's literally a scene where he's just like walking through aisles of like racing game with like and there's like some racing games in the background as as uh as Kevin McKidd's voice is like focus. Look around you. It's like what? <laughs> Percy frees Grover and Annabeth from the flowers' effects. They locate the final pearl in the casino and escape the hotel. Mm-hmm. Annabeth realizes that they only have one day left to prevent the gods' war, as they were in the casino for five days. Yeah. See. <laughs> yeah. So that's supposed to be like a big thing. It's like, oh, oh, <laughs> you're not supposed to be in here anymore. Like, w- people will literally get lost for years. Years, like years. There's literally a, gr- a group of people who, uh, in one of the later books, I think it's the Titans Curse, where they're in there for years. Oh wow! But yeah, so so they they have to go to Hollywood. Yeah, they discover that the underworld is in Hollywood and race there. With all three pearls, Percy, Grover, and Annabeth enter the portal to the underworld upon arriving in Hollywood. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just it's just in Hollywood. Like I get it. But the underworld's all the way in Hollywood. They were in Vegas, right? Yeah, but Olympus is on top of the Empire State Building. Like, it's floating above it. Opposite ends of the country. Yeah, it's like, I get it, but really, wouldn't it make more sense for it to have been under New York City? Well, don't can't the gods teleport to some extent? They can, and, like, it's not like they're fixed locations. It's just this is the easiest. Like, Empire State is where it is now. So, technically, I suppose it could be in different places. But, really, I feel like it makes more sense for them to be closer to one another. In the underworld, Hades finds the lightning bolt hidden inside Luke's shield, revealing that Luke was the thief all along. Okay. So, Hades. This is where we see, in the flesh, Steve Coogan. Man. And he's... And in the books... Man. That's another one for the counter. He gets... He's portrayed as this kind of, like, weary mayor of hell because he's, like, he doesn't want the war because he doesn't want all those extra souls because he's pretty spread thin as is. There are just there are way too many souls. He's spending all his fortune because Hades is also the god of, like, riches and, like, yeah. gems. So he's spending all of that just trying to hire people. But in this one, he's portrayed as this kind of washed-up rock star. And so when he's like, oh, give me the bolt. And... And Percy doesn't know it's there, cause Luke hid it in his shield. This is the first. This is your hint that Luke is not what he appears to be. Um, even though he's already been kind of angsty in the past, so that kind of gave it away. But you know, Luke is framing them. And so you know, Annabeth tries to explain that, but Hades picks up the bolt. And he's like, and he just kind of offhandedly goes, "I feed him to the souls." And then Persephone like, kind of like waves her hand. And this gate behind him opens up, and it's just like swirling inferno of souls, <laughs> which is another which cool shot. But also, the entire movie is like lit like it's a period drama. Oh. Like it's not lit where it's the CG looks cool. Dang. It just it all looks kind of washed out. But yeah, so and then it's going, and Persephone tries to like you know give like she's like trying to like. You know, give Hades a kiss because it's like, oh, you won. And then she takes the bolt from him, shocks him. <laughs> he flies to the ground. And she – and also the hound – by the way, I forgot to mention the hounds are called at this point. So there's like hell hounds there too. Oh. Um, and she she says some words in like Greek, I think, and shuts the gates. The hounds back off. And she kind of – stands over Hades' body, kind of pats him on. He's like, oh, he won't remember a thing. It's like, why are you why are you happy about you you, wow. you just like electrocuted your husband. But then she but then she goes into how like he's a like she hates him. He's abusive. She's only happy when she when she's only happy when he when she's, you know, on the surface world for her allotted amount of time. Cause if you know the story of Persephone, she's she's in the underworld for nine months or for half of the year rather, and she's in uh, she's on the surface world with her um, mom Demeter for like the other half of the year, but she's she's worried that if Hades starts this war, which Hades should not want to start the war, but since Kronos, who is actually trying to start the war, isn't really in the movie, um, they just give all of his uh like reasoning to to Hades. Oh wow, but. And well, and also 
and also to some to a different character too. But you know, um, yeah. So just 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 keep reading, keep reading. We'll go. Hades tries to kill the trio, but Persephone turns on him in retaliation for imprisoning her there you go. and gives the bolt to Percy. Yeah, so she she just goes, take your mom and the bolt. Like, just like, wow, okay, that was a Thank lot you. Of, long walk for a short glass of water. <laughs> As they only have three pearls, Grover remains behind, mm-hmm. while Percy, Annabeth, and Sally teleport to the Empire State Building, the entrance to Mount Olympus. Yeah. However, before they can enter, they are ambushed by Luke who reveals that he stole the lightning bolt to demolish Mount Olympus and establish the demigods as new rulers of the Western civilization. Okay, so in the in the novel, in the book, uh, Kronos is work, is like kind of manipulating Luke and because Kronos wants the Titans to take back over. Because um, he's mad at the gods, correct? For killing him to some extent? To some extent. But yeah, gods, it's hard to kill a god. It's hard to kill monsters. They kind of regenerate. Um, but in this one, Luke is, like, really the only big bad besides Hades, and we've already dismantled Hades's like, right, like, ideas, so Luke has this idea that, you know, the gods, the gods don't even care about demigods, it's time for the demigods to take over, and he's right to some extent, the gods don't really care that much, but he is also trying to topple an entire civilization, mm. so, like, it's, it's not a not great and he's just kind of he's really portrayed as like i his acting reminds me of topher grace as venom oh it's like that kind of like uh, i'm angry at the world uh, kind of thing it i don't know it, it it's it's just not at all what luke is characterized like in any other media but yeah he's the lightning thief Percy's not the lightning thief. Percy is being framed as the lightning thief, but Percy's not the lightning thief. And throughout the throughout the movie, he's like, everyone's like, lightning thief, lightning thief. He's like, I'm not the lightning thief. But he actually does have the lightning for his entire journey. So he's more like the lightning thief by proxy. Um, Yeah. After a battle across Manhattan, oh. Percy, Percy seemingly kills Luke, mm-hmm. returns the lightning bolt to Zeus, and reconciles with his father Poseidon. Yeah, let's 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 dissect. I'm gonna talk a little bit about this this battle. So, Percy flies for about half the battle with, with, the, the, sh- with the shoes. Here's the problem with that. He also flies during the fight with the Hydra. Okay. Sons of Poseidon should not fly because. One, well, this particular son of Poseidon is the supposed lightning thief at this point. And Zeus would literally strike him down if he found out he was flying. Zeus would just smite him out of the sky. Pretty much, just yeah. boom. Yeah, so it's incredibly dangerous for him to fly in the in the books. And so he, he like I don't think he does it for more than like a page. Or like doesn't he only does it if he desperately has to. In the in this he does it for like half the scene because they want a big, nice superhero fight. Okay. But yeah, so he retur- the, He goes into Olympus, and this is right as the solstice hits, and Zeus is gearing for war. The gods are trying to talk him down, and instead, uh, like Percy and and Annabeth run in. They're like, "Oh, I think you're looking for this," and Zeus still goes, "Hand me the lightning bolt." lightning thief he still calls him the lightning thief give it to me and but he's also like he's like oh good son of poseidon betraying his father because zeus is also suspecting poseidon has something to do with it um and for some reason percy goes uh i i'm i was not betraying my father because you know like he makes this like whole thing where like he's acting on his own um again He's not supposed to be an angsty teen. Um, does he blame Luke, or does he just like, no, he take does. the he full literally goes, heat Luke, of it? Luke, son of Hermes, stole it. And you see Hermes, and they did a very good job of making the actor for Hermes look like the uh, like they like Dylan Neal, the actor for Hermes, does look very much like Jake Abel in this in this movie as as uh, Luke Casselli. They look very similar. So good job on that. Um, but yeah, they, he you know Poseidon. They have this kind of like awkward interaction. But 
yeah, so they they go they go back, um, they go back to uh to ha- to Camp Half Blood and they start training. The last scene you see with Annabeth is the same thing as her first scene. She's just fighting three people, <laughs> just cause she can. Just cause she can. I don't know. It's not. It's not. Not good. And then, as you discussed earlier, in a mid credit scene, Sally has Gabe kicked out of her apartment. Yep. He returns to get a beer, and upon opening the fridge, is turned to stone by Medusa's head. Yeah, they keep the, the head in the fridge. It's funny. It does not make sense if your mom's mortal. Do not do that to her. Yeah, no, don't don't leave just a severed head of a snake demon lady just floating in your apartment. Yeah. So, to kind of sum it all up, because we've really been rambling for a long time. I mean, we didn't even I didn't even get to talk about Pierce Brosnan. Pierce Brosnan did well as as Chiron. It's just a lot. Of, there's so many good names here. Big names too. Big names too. And really, they just did. They couldn't be bothered to like make a good movie. Really, it's like here's 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 the top part of the paragraph here. The film received mixed reviews from critics, with criticism for the poor grasp of its source material. Check and its script. Double check. Um. But praise for Lerman and Jackson's performances. Yeah, Brandon T. Jackson and Logan Lerman are very they're they're really they really saved this movie from being unwatchable. Brandon T. Jackson, I've heard that somewhere. I'm trying to figure out where it is. He's a he's a stand-up comedian. He's he's been in a few. He's credited in Tropic Thunder. Oh, that's a good. That's a funny movie. Yeah. Sorry, unrelated, but that's a great movie. But yeah, I mean to kind of. Put, put it all together. This movie, they had so much here. They had so much chance. They had all the chances here. 20th Century Fox could have had a massive cash cow here because this was a super popular book series. I know for a fact that when I, that I, when I heard this movie was coming out, me and my brother were thrilled because we wanted to see it. Yeah. And, like, because this is, like, this like the mythology series. Like, there's a reason that there are, like, four spinoff series for um for the original Percy Jackson books. Yeah. Like, it's that popular. Yeah, it, they were good books, too. It's not like it's some no, crappy book Rick, that he Rick just Reardon, kept putting out. Rick Reardon writes surprisingly – it's surprisingly, like, it, it, if I went back and looked at it now as a young, as a young adult – uh, fantasy action novel. It's. It, I'm sure it would still hold up pretty well. Yeah. I actually was debating last night if I should if I should read over the book, but you know when I was watching the movie, I was like, wow, you know, I still remember how terrible this is. <laughs> it's. I. I know. I know. I. I remember a surprising amount of it because it's just it's that memorable. And instead, they fly in the face of all of that. Like they cut the most exciting scene of the of the book, which was the fight with him and Ares, because. He Percy fights Ares. fights Ares and wins because Ares is supposed to want the war, not Hades. So Kronos and Ares are subbed out for Luke and Hades. And Luke is in is an act is like an actor in he's the demigod liaison in for Kronos at this point. In, or in Ares as the in the book as, in the books. He's like he's like the one who's he's like the demigod who's inciting it. But they just completely ax Ares who duh, he'd want a war. Cause, Cause why he's not? the war god. <laughs> but like, by the way, the guy who played Ares, Ray Winstone, uncredited. Uncredited. Yeah, Ray Winstone is uncredited as Ares. What? Like, where does he show up? Probably <laughs> if in, at all. I, probably in the scene where all the Olympians are like debating on the war at the very end, where he brings the bolt in. Oh. Uh yeah. So. <sighs> That is the most awesome scene in the book because, like, they're fighting in, like, they're kind of in shallow water. And so Percy gets to use his powers, and oh. he actually beats Ares. That's and it's, like, awesome. this, like, big thing. That's, like, his, like, his test. And there's just nothing that cool. Oh. But, yeah. I mean, in in conclusion, in in, in summation of this movie... It is just under two hours long, and I think there are maybe 15 minutes of it total that are redeemable, just oh. for performance alone. There, 
there are some acting acting performances are good for from a few of them, but just the bizarre choices by Chris Columbus, by Craig Titley, by anyone who was hands on with this at 20th Century Fox, uh-huh. is just was terrible. It like they credit they credit uh, Rick Riordan as a writer for the novel. Okay. But even he hates it. If the novel, if the person who wrote this hates it, you know you've screwed up. So, yeah. I don't think I'd recommend it unless you're really a fan and you want to get ready for the Disney Plus reboot. With the kid from The Adam Project. With the kid from, from yeah, The Adam Project. You know, Ryan Reynolds' little protege. I forgot his name. Um, nerds. Good actor. Good good actor. Yeah. Um, but let's see. TV series. Walker Scoble. Walker Scoble. That's his name. That's his name. And see, he's actually going to be 12. Oh, that's awesome. That's that's what you that's what you're supposed to do. That's what you're supposed to do, by the way. Yeah. In conclusion. Worth the watch or no? Not worth the watch. It's it's not worth the watch. It is barely approaching so bad it's good territory. Barely. So, all in all, very disappointing. That sounds like as good a place as ever to end this, John. Yeah, so with that, this podcast is a production of Nearest Podcasting, hosted by John Sansoni and Jackson McKee. Intro and outro song is Dial Tone 11 by Blue Dot Sessions, used under Creative Commons 3. Any views or opinions expressed by the hosts and or guests are not the opinions of Mary's School or the Society of Mary and are strictly the hosts. Thank you, and we'll see you next time. Bye.